Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to church. Glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and we are so excited to be here. I got a text last night and wanted to make sure that I did a little shout out at all the services because I'm not sure exactly when they'll be joining us, but apparently there's a family reunion happening, happening in Auckland, New Zealand, and their Sunday morning church is actually coming from Christ the King in Bellingham, Washington. So we'd like to say hi to all of our friends in Auckland, New Zealand. We're glad that you are here. This is the last official week of our Global Missions Month at Christ the King, and I want to start today with a bunch of good news. I hope you've been encouraged as we've shown you updates of everything that God has accomplished through you and your generosity over the past years. Yesterday at noon... At Asian One Restaurant just down the street, I got to sit down with two guys who were very instrumental in our Thailand church planting project, and they, uh, they, they melted my head just a little bit by giving me an update. Several years ago, we had the dream of planting 250 house churches for about 300 bucks a pop. We raised $75,000. That was donor-matched. Since we started... The Thailand Church Planting Project, they have planted 2,838 house churches. In 2021 alone, they had 10,572 salvations. They've baptized 5,890 people and have 3,000 people on a waiting list to get baptized. What in the world? I, I just don't even have boxes for these kinds of things when God just shows up. And there's more good news. Anybody else need good news these days? I don't know about you, but I'll take good news any chance I get. So a couple of years ago, you gave to a mystery project. That's all we told you. It was a mystery project in the Middle East. COVID-19 delayed the utilization of those funds until now. And because of some leadership changes in Israel, now we can actually share a little bit of the opportunity as to what happened over there. So you actually gave, without knowing it, about $15,000, and that allowed us to collaborate with the National Leadership Center in Israel to launch a program that focused on helping orphans, at-risk young people, and kids from minority communities to have access to the National Leadership Center and to have a life-changing experience. And so what we're going to do is this. In the next two and a half minutes, you're going to get an opportunity to see what you participated in. I want to introduce you to a friend. His name is Iran. He has a beautiful Israeli accent. You're going to have to listen very closely, but I also want you to pay attention to where this is coming from, because the story we're going to talk about in Scripture today comes from an area very close to what you're about to see. Let's watch this together. Shalom from the hills of Ephraim. My name is Eran Glazer, and I am Executive Director of the National Leadership Center in the city of Aria. I would like to thank you very much, brother and sister from CTK. It's such an honor and pleasure for us that you are partnering with us. So I would like to say thank you very much for your prayers and for your partnership. Here in the National Leadership Center, we are teaching and speaking with the students about the purpose in life and how to connect to the Bible. We are doing that through the facilities that have here. It's such a blessing for us to teach them about the life of King David, about Abraham, we teach them that they can be the next King David. If you are bringing your love and you are bringing your faith to the Lord, you can be a leader. And this is what we are teaching you. There is three kinds of groups that coming to hear young people. One of them is from the Ministry of Education, students from all over that are coming. The next is IDF. The students that coming before army or through the army, they are coming to here and trained to be a leader. And the third one 
is in children that cannot afford to come, youth in risk, orphans, students that their life is not easy for them, that their parents are not present in their life and they cannot come here. So this week, with your help, we are going to establish a new project that will bring thousands of students in the year to come to hear the Eels of Ephraim. Thousand children that they cannot afford to come, that they don't think that it's important to come. And with your help, we are going to establish in the next quarter the first 12 groups. It's going to be amazing. We are going to bring them from all over Israel. We are going to teach them about the Bible, connect them to the Lord, and speaking with them about purpose in life, speaking with them about the resource that they like, the spiritual one, the physical one. We are going to bring them inside the Israeli society with faith as long leaders. So I would like to say thank you very much for helping us to launch this important, important program for the strength of Israel. Young people are going to come and speak about these issues. So thank you very much. And this is a personal invitation from me to you to come and to see how the Lord bless us. Some of you are thinking, I'd like to go try that ropes course. That sounds cool. So your giving to Global Missions Projects makes things like this a reality. This year, our project is to send global ambassadors to walk with and tangibly love our global partners all over the world. And believing that we're actually going to surpass this year's goal, we're close, but to get over the top, we hope and dream of continuing this partnership in Israel in 2023. So if God prompts you, you can give above and beyond at give.ctk.church. All right, you ready? Here we go. So during our worship time, Eve read these beautiful words of scripture. And they are so worth repeating. The Apostle Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all and all God's people said, amen. This weekend we're going to focus in on two words, one Lord, one Lord. The Greek word for Lord in the New Testament is Kyrios. The Hebrew word for Lord in the Old Testament is Adonai. And these, of course, have variations of these words all throughout the Bible. As followers of Jesus, that word Lord means this. It means we believe that Jesus alone is the Lord of our lives. We believe that Jesus Christ has full authority to rule and reign in every aspect of our lives. And that is where the human struggle comes in. Because part of the human condition is that we actually believe we should be running our own show and everyone else's. There's this struggle over the throne of our heart. Who's actually going to get to take up residence there? The king of the universe or the little K king that lives inside of every single one of us? Let me simplify lordship for you as easily and as simply as I possibly can. This is my grand plan for my life. I want God to give me comfort, ease, security, blessing, and compensation. That's what I want. And I write out my plan and I come to Jesus and I say, Jesus, could you do me a favor? If you would endorse right down here, that would be absolutely fantastic. Let's go. And Jesus says, that's not the way this works. 
Jesus says, actually, lordship is when you endorse the blank plan, you trust me to fill in the details, and right here and right now, you surrender the pen. That's lordship. The Bible tells us this true story of four hearts that are all struggling with lordship. Each one of these hearts is going to make a choice about who's truly on the throne. We're going Old Testament again this week, 1 Samuel 14. I'm about to read a nice big chunk of scripture. Some of you can read along in your Bible. Others of you are going to follow on the screen. Some of you that are very visual, I would encourage you just to let the words wash over you and picture as much of it as you can. The Bible says, one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah who was wearing an ephod. Last week we learned an ephod was a priestly garment the priest put on when they wanted to hear and discern the voice of God. He was the son of Ichabod's brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Boses, another one Sina. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young arbor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Parents, you can tell your children all about that word on your way home today. Be blessed. <laughs> Let's go over to that outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come then. We'll cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Looks at the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us, we will teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. That's a dark ending to an interesting story. But if you dig deep into this story, you're going to find four hearts that are all struggling with lordship. The first heart is the defiant heart of the Philistines. If you need to know some history, here you go. The Philistines were a thorn in the side of the nation of Israel for decades. They were a warring pagan nation. They started on the sea, they moved to the land, and they specialized in crafting iron weapons. Philistines worshipped a god by the name of Dagon. He was known as both a fish god and a god that presided over agriculture. When I say god, I mean little g, not big g. Okay? The Philistines defiantly refused to bend their knee to the god of the Israelites. And it's so easy for us in this moment to go, oh, just a bunch of pagan worshipers, a bunch of idol-worshipping pagans. I think we would be wise to remember, before we judge them, 
they weren't really all that different than a culture that worships pop icons, the gospel of social media, and the little g God of self-promotion. They had a defiant heart. The defiant heart said, we don't need the God of Israel. We're going to do this our own way. We say it this way. I can do this on my own. I found in my own experience that underneath the veneer of a defiant heart is just a heart that honestly wants to be loved, that craves answers that will last, and is on a constant drive to try and find just a little bit of peace. In this story, we find the Philistines standing defiantly on the edge of a cliff, daring any follower of this Israelite God to come and give it their best shot. I will tell you, there's only one answer for a defiant heart, and that's humility. And the Philistines are about to be humbled by two humble men who know that without God, they are absolutely nothing. The second heart is the distant heart of King Saul. Saul was made king over Israel when he was just 30 years old. He was the predecessor of King David. God's chosen man to lead the nation of Israel. However, instead of obeying God's commands and his instructions, Saul started doing his own thing. Instead of acting in the role of king, he also started acting in the role of priest. He started doing priestly function, which was an absolute abomination. God removed his blessing from Saul's life because of his arrogance and his disobedience. And as often happens, Saul's heart just began to drift. So we find him, according to scripture, sitting under a pomegranate tree, missing all of these God moments that were happening around him. He's so consumed with his own thoughts, he doesn't even notice his own son has slipped out of camp with a teenage helper to go pick a fight with his mortal enemy. Doesn't even know what's happening. He's consumed with his own thoughts. He's angry at God for walking away when truthfully, Saul did all of the walking. He thought he knew better. He thought he had a better plan for his life. (laughs) And now God was that voice in the depth of his soul and in his conscience that drove him crazy because instead of pushing him away, the voice kept calling him back home. Saul's heart was so distant, just one chapter later, this is what God says out loud for the nation to hear. I am grieved that I made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. There's only one answer for a distant heart and that is intimacy. And let's make no mistake, God wants intimacy with everyone, including those who've walked away or drifted away. Third heart, I'm gonna call it a devoted heart. It's the heart of the armor bearer. And this is where the word of God gets so fun for me. So Saul has a son named Jonathan. Jonathan has an assistant called an armor bearer. And one day, Jonathan just decides to go pick a fight with the Philistines. Slips out of camp, and nobody knows where he's going except for his armor bearer. I want you to think about the armor bearer's job description for just a second, okay? You follow your warrior into a battle, carrying his protective armor. And when the fighting starts, you give the armor away. That's not a job I ever want. Just think about it again. You carry the protective gear into the fight, and then you give the very thing that might save your life away to someone else. Why would you do that? Why would you give away the armor when the fight is just getting started? I can only think of one reason. It's because you were so devoted to the warrior in front of you that you would trust him not only with your life, but you'd also believe that when he was out there fighting, he was going to protect himself and you. You would have to be incredibly devoted. 
I can't even imagine the conversation that must have happened between these two guys. Jonathan shows up. Okay, armor bearer, let's go. Where are we going? We're gonna go pick a fight. Just me and you? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Jonathan tells his armor bearer, we're gonna go undertake the impossible. We might even die, but it's gonna be great. And the kid goes. In fact, look at his response. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said, go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. You know, we all face tough decisions in life. If, if you are struggling with decisions, you may want to go back and listen to last week's message. It was all about decision making. A few years back, I was having a rough day because I was trying to make some really difficult life decisions. And as I was sitting in my office, a big Texan came walking through the door. Some of you remember Pastor Sam. He walked in and handed a piece of paper to me. And on the piece of paper was a photocopy of this Bible story. And there was one verse highlighted in orange that said this. Do all that you have in mind. I'm with you. Heart and soul. And those of you that know Sam can picture this. He looked me dead in the eye. And then he stood up and walked around behind my chair, placed his hands on my shoulders, and began to pray for courage, strength, and resolve. And then he left. And doesn't something just stir inside of you when you know someone has your back? I mean, when somebody's got your back, courage shows up, tenacity deepens, and faith grows because you just know you're not alone. And here's the problem right now. Many of us are thinking, oh, I just wish I had someone like that in my life. What if you offered it before you expected it? What if you had someone else's back before you ever expected anyone to have yours? How about being that person first? Scripture says to the followers of Jesus, we're not supposed to look to the needs of ourselves. We're supposed to look to the needs of others, which means we, of all people, should be really, really good armor bearers. If you want to think about it, that's really the heart of this year's missions project. We want to send two armor bearers to every corner of the world to all of our global partners so they could show up in their life and say, do everything that you have in mind. We're with your heart and soul. Can I share one more thing? This church is not based on paid professional warriors. If you want to know who the minister of Christ the King Community Church is, you're not looking at him. He's looking at you. You're the minister's. Scripture says the job of a pastor is to equip people to do the works of God, which means we're here to facilitate people doing ministry. That's our calling, which means we are your armor bearers. So Christ the King, do all that you have in mind. Over the next two weeks, we are with you, heart and soul. One more heart in the story. It's a desperate heart. And that's our friend Jonathan. Boy, I love this guy. And when I say desperate, I mean desperate in the most beautiful way possible. Jonathan is desperate for God's help and intervention. Jonathan is absolutely desperate because he knows he can accomplish nothing apart from God's help. And we find in his story and in his example what it truly looks like to have a desperate heart for God. Let me give you four quick truths. Number one is this. A desperate heart never presumes on God's plan. 
Essentially, a desperate heart always knows their place. They embrace this simple truth that God is God and we are not God. Listen to what Jonathan says to his armor bearer. Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows and then underline this next word, circle it, focus on it, pray about it all week long. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Like, perhaps, maybe, no guarantees, but we believe that God is God of all. Jonathan's heart was so desperate for God's leading, he was willing to go on a suicide mission as long as it ultimately brought glory to God. He was this willing tool in God's hands. Even if it meant he had to give up his life, he would do it for the glory of God. And that's why you hear this sentiment all through scripture. If you really wanna live, you're gonna have to die first. You're gonna have to surrender the pen. You're gonna have to give up your agenda. You're gonna have to give up your priorities. That's what the apostle Paul was saying in Philippians 1. He goes, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. Our plans and our will must die to the lordship of Jesus. And here's the good news. When that happens, then you actually truly get to live. Secondly, a desperate heart is willing to do the unthinkable and the illogical. So because I read it so quickly, let's review Jonathan's strategy. He has one sword and a teenager. <laughs> Love teenagers, by the way. And he goes to a cliff to pick a fight with an army. Do the math. You have one sword, an army has lots of swords. And you're at the bottom of a cliff, and they're at the top. When it comes to military strategy, his next statement is not exactly brilliant. Because here's what he says to the armor bearer. Hey, let's go and show ourselves to them. Let's tell them we're coming. Like, let's just step out here. Yoo-hoo. Hello, Philistines. <laughs> There's just two of us. We only got one sword and he's carrying the armor, but just you wait. None of this cowardly sneaking up at night strategy for Jonathan. Absolutely not. He announces his coming before he even gets there. And then verses nine and 10, this is amazing to me. Jonathan says, okay, this is how it's gonna go. We're gonna tell them we're coming. If they say, we'll come to you, then it's a sign from God, he's not with us and we're not gonna fight. But if they say, come to us, that's God's way of saying he is on our side and we're gonna win. Just think about the weight of this moment, okay? I want you to remember something. They're at the bottom of a cliff, the Philistines are at the top. If the Philistines say, come up to us, Jonathan and his armor bearer are going to be fighting up a vertical rock face. Climbing up a cliff with one sword and a kid dragging your armor. Here's what happens. The Philistines say, come up to us. We'll teach you a lesson. And Jonathan's like, yes, this is going to be fantastic. And here's what he says. Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer right behind, right behind him. Here's a question. If he's using his hands and feet to climb, where's his sword? It's either in his teeth or hanging off his neck. 
Neither one is a great choice when you've got an army waiting for you at the top of the hill. Come on, people, do the math with me, right? It's climbing up a cliff, not even wearing armor yet, to an enemy that's above him. And some people would say that was crazy. Jonathan would say, you need to understand. What I'm taking with me is not a sword and a kid. What I'm taking with me is the God of Israel who's with me every single inch. That's crazy faith, radical faith. I used to go ice fishing with my grandpa and, and we would drive the truck right out onto the lake. And my grandpa never blinked because he knew the ice was thick. He had faith the ice was going to hold us. If you want to accomplish the unthinkable for God, you better be placing your faith in a God that you can trust. You better be believing in a God who has a thick track record of faithfulness and he just keeps showing up over and over and over again. To place your faith anywhere else, to me, that's to take a walk on very, very thin ice. This is the fourth truth. A desperate heart will go until there's a no. All through the story, Jonathan just keeps moving ahead with the plan. You know, if there, were, if there were people there, they would have told him he was crazy. But there were no people with him because he didn't even bother to bring any backup. <laughs> Jonathan just knew God wanted him to do something. 1995, Laurel and I felt this stirring in our heart that God wanted us to do something. And this church in Everson, Washington had reached out to us and said, we want you to come and be our youth pastor. And the truth is, we had no reason to leave our current assignment. We were loving life in Steinbach, Manitoba, doing youth ministry, working with middle school kids and high school kids. It was absolutely amazing. But we had this sense that God wanted us to step out in faith. And here's the reality. There were so many barriers that God could have placed in front of us that would have stopped the whole process. I mean, immigration, <laughs> that's no small thing. Finances, church philosophy, personal likes and dislikes all along the way. God could have just said, nope, we're done. But we kept praying, God, we believe this is right and we're gonna move out in faith until you close the door. We're gonna go until we hear a no. And he never closed the door. And the rest of our story of how we ended up in Everson and then how we ended up here that's not a story of our obedience. That's a story of God's faithfulness. So here's my question. Are you moving on something God has called you to do or are you just sitting around waiting for somebody else to do it? Are you gonna take responsibility for the neighbors God has placed right around you to invite them to Easter? Or are you just gonna hope? Are you gonna sit in your house and pray, God, please send someone to invite my neighbors? Last one. A desperate heart fears nothing but God himself. Jonathan didn't fear failure. In fact, he was willing to go beyond intellectual knowledge to make his faith an absolute reality. And the truth is this, whatever God calls us to as a church, we have nothing to fear when God asks us for something because a little bit of our obedience and all the power of God together, that's all God's looking for. With that bold faith, God accomplishes miraculous outcomes. The question is this, are you willing to risk it all for the sake of one human soul? So when I was a youth pastor out in Everson, I took a group of high school kids to inner city LA. And we did a Bible club, actually in a neighborhood called Wyvernwood. 
It's in East LA. It actually happens to be, uh, happens to be the home of the 18th Street Gang, which is a fairly intimidating, intimidating place to go. Gang members would sit on the porches of their homes and flash gang signals at us as we were walking in and walking back out again. And it was a little scary because we're just a group of high school students from Washington, which means we have the street smarts of a possum and that's not going to go really well for us. I remember one time we got a little freaked out because one gang member actually approached one of my team as we were leaving one day and said, aren't you afraid to die? That's intimidating. One afternoon, I saw a group of gang guys stand up and start walking with purpose towards a group of our guys that were out hanging out with kids. And as I watched them walk, I got nervous because underneath of one of their baggy hockey jerseys was a very large, a very large something that scared me. I started panicking and I got there just as they came face to face. The one in the front that had something concealed underneath of his jersey, the one in the front with the baggy pants and the low profile shades and the gang bandana, he was reaching underneath of his jersey just as I walked up and I heard this come out of his mouth. You guys want to play football? And out from underneath of his hockey jersey, he pulled a Nerf football. And I went, okay. (laughs) My heart was racing. It was racing in protection, racing for answers, and ultimately it began to race for joy, knowing that even tough kids in L.A. can be touched by a group of desperate hearts from Everson, Washington, as long as you're willing to play football in the name of Jesus. why I love Jonathan so much he actually got beyond where most people get stuck he did something he followed through on all of his talk he acted and God responded in a mighty way here's what I know whether it's online or in the room every single one of these hearts is here right now can I talk to the defiant hearts for just a moment No matter how defiant you may have been and entrenched in your opinions you may be, whether you like it or will admit it or not, God loves you. He proved it on a cross when he died for your sin. To the distant hearts in the room, can you acknowledge who actually drifted? Would you ask the question today, is it time for me to come home? How about the devoted hearts? Can I talk to Jesus followers for just a second? I know you have devotion, but is your devotion too safe? Are you completely comfortable? Or is there an element of danger in your faith because you believe in the same God that Jonathan believed in? We throw words around like I would be willing to die for God. Absolutely. Really? Would you? Parents, if if in this missions month focus, if your kids showed up, what if your teenage kids showed up and said, mom and dad, I actually believe God's calling me to the other side of the world to share about Jesus. Would you let them go or would you try to block their opportunity because somehow you've made the mistake. You think they're safer in your hand than in the hand of God. 
Would you be willing to change everything about your life to follow God up the side of a cliff knowing that there's nothing up there waiting for you but conflict? Let me talk to the desperate hearts. Here's what you need to know. A desperate heart will do incredible things for God. Even if it seems illogical. Because in the end, a desperate heart doesn't win a victory. The God they're serving does. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if your heart is defiant, distant, or if you're devoted or desperate. What I know is this in the beautiful words of the prophet Joel as we all bring our heart condition before God and say, God, help me to be everything that you want me to be, the prophet Joel would say this, rend your heart, not your garments. In the Old Testament, if someone was grieving deeply over the condition of of something that had happened in the world, they would tear their clothes as an outward sign of their grief. The prophet Joel says, "Look, look, tear your heart and spare your coats. And then come these words, return to the Lord your God for he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and he relents in sending calamity. I think Joel is saying this to all of us. Hey, spare the show. Let's get down to business. If you want to think of it this way, Jonathan invited his armor bearer into a great adventure and we have exactly the same opportunity over the next two weeks the question is will God's people be faithful or are we just going to sit idly by passively and hope that somebody else does the work or are we going to be the kind of people that say hey look I don't even know what's going to happen but I'd like to invite you to come to Easter and to hear a story about a God who who showed up who lived who died but didn't stay dead, came back to life again, and one day soon is gonna come back and take all of his children home. What if we were the kind of people that said, I don't want you to miss that moment. So I'm gonna take a risk. Why don't you come and sit with me on Easter? Perhaps God might show up. Would you pray with me as we close? God, thank you for this morning and an opportunity to be with you. God, I pray that you would empower and encourage my brothers and sisters to elevate that desperate heart to a place where they will be obedient this week to all that you call them to do. We pray that you would be honored. And God, thank you for being the God who opened an invitation to us May we do the same for others. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.